Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. All right, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dana Wooters. I'll be wrapping up our, our sermon series we've been in the last few weeks on wrestling with love. So I'd also like to say, uh, add my uh, happy Father's Day to those who are here in the audience today. I expect my parents are watching online, so I'd like to say uh, happy Father's Day to my dad. I was thinking last night, I, I've, I've, I've preached before and had it recorded, but this will be the first time in my life that I'm broadcasting live over the internet. So it's, it's kind of like being on TV, you know, it's like now, now I'm famous. I can tell myself that I'm now a famous person. Um, but I, I really, I also, I also appreciate Kara's video. It's nice to remind my children that I used to be an interesting person. Um, but but I, I really like this idea that we've been talking about of, of wrestling with love because it implies that, that loving sometimes involves struggle. You know, take, take, uh, take, take the marriage relationship. Um, it's funny to me how it kind of doesn't start off that way. It doesn't start off in the form of a struggle, at least it didn't for me. I think normally uh, it begins with attraction. You know, if you saw a picture of my wife back in 1991, you would not have a hard time understanding why I was attracted to her first. And if you saw a picture of me in 1991, you would not have a hard, a hard time understanding why it took her a little while to warm up to me. But it kind of begins with attraction, and boy, it feels good when that becomes mutual, right? I'm interested in you, you're now interested in me. That's a great feeling. And, and frankly, loving somebody under those conditions usually isn't very difficult because everything's positive. You're going out on dates, you're going to eat, you're going to movies, you know, you hold hands, first kiss, all that stuff. And, and everybody's kind of on their be best behavior because it's a happy time and we don't want to screw it up. So loving somebody else isn't so difficult under those conditions usually. There are exceptions noted. But then comes marriage. And, and there are challenges that come when two people who have lived as single folks have to learn to adjust to living together. You know, there's, there's, there's minor stuff. You know, the husband uh, spends his time obsessing over where we're spending every, every, every dime that's, uh, that, that goes out there. The wife makes sweet meatloaf instead of savory meatloaf. Now, by the way, maybe you're not thinking that's a real thing. Those were two real things in our house. Uh, or maybe in your house, the husband likes the toilet paper rolled from the back and the wife likes the toilet paper rolled from the front. Uh, by the way, those were not things in our house. And if those were things in your house, I just don't get it. That's, that's dumb. Um, but, but you also learn things about your spouse, characteristics that you didn't know before that are maybe not so attractive. And, and despite the fact that some of these things are minor, some are maybe not as minor, you have to decide whether you're going to respond with love or selfishness. If you respond with love, that means that sometimes the things that you want to do, you don't do. 
It means that you compromise. Okay, we'll do it this way this time. We'll do it that way this other time. Or, or maybe instead of, you know, if you respond with love and you see those characteristics in your spouse that it, you, you kind of wish weren't there, you, don't, you, you learn to accept as opposed to, as opposed to fix. And if you respond with love, then, then, then the marriage grows deeper. Those two people learn to, learn to live together, and, and, and happiness is a result of that. If you respond with selfishness, then the trouble begins to arise, and that marriage is threatened right from the outset. Because as we all know, more serious challenges come on over the course of time. Children come, for, for example. Now, children are a great blessing, but now you're taking attention that you're struggling to put between two people and spreading that to a third person, a fourth person, a fifth person. Uh, then there are work challenges as our careers grow, responsibility increases, more time is spent away, is spent away from home. Stress invariable, invariably occurs at work, and it's difficult not to bring uh, that home. There's health issues. Maybe our own health issues or those in our immediate family or those of parents and loved ones, maybe even the loss of loved ones. All these are stresses and challenges that occur, and again, we have to choose whether we're going to respond with love or not. Now it's not so easy uh, because when we're under stress or we're having difficulty, you know, if we respond with love, then we don't pass that on to the, those, those around us. We may share what's going on, but we don't we don't lash out at others because we're struggling ourselves. And, and, and if we respond with love, then we're patient when our spouse is struggling or undergoing stress. On the other hand, if we respond with selfishness, we tend to, we tend to pass those stresses along to others. We tend to, to look to ourselves and focus on ourselves more. And if we, and, and again, it's kind of the same thing. If we respond with love, then our, our marriages grow closer and they start to resemble what it talks about back in Genesis, two, you know, the two becoming one flesh. On the other hand, if we respond with selfishness, these challenges tend to, to divide us, and marriages at this point can become broken, fractured, or maybe even come to an end. Now, all of this is kind of the normal circumstance throughout the generations. This is the way marriage works. But we find ourselves today in, a, in an unusual circumstance on top of that. Of course, we have this global pandemic going on, and, and the circumstances vary. Some of us, you know, found ourselves temporarily out of work and the financial pressures associated with it. Some of us lost our jobs permanently, maybe even lost a business, and we're, and we're, we're working through what the, what the next step to be able to take care of ourselves and our family looks like. On the other hand, others of us began to work from home. We had to learn to uh, adapt to working online and working by phone and working in our, our, our living rooms. Um, Others uh, who are associated with critical businesses may be working more than ever because the business is still needed, P food, you know, people need food, people need those essential services, and maybe some of our colleagues were sick. Our circumstances vary, but the one, the one common denominator during a lockdown is that we're now at home with our families 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's kind of a test. It's a dividing line. You know, if, 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 if you have a marriage and a family relationship that's positive, that's based on love, then the silver lining of, of this lockdown could be, you know, that you got to spend time, and maybe in, maybe in a once-in-a-lifetime manner, with, with, with your loved ones. On the other hand, if your marriage was heading in the wrong direction, if it was a struggle, if things are not going so well, it's just one more, one more straw that you're hoping doesn't break the camel's back. 
It's funny. I, I don't follow celebrity news. I don't care about that stuff. But I did notice um, as I was looking, you know, getting ready for this, this sermon this morning uh, that, that Kelly Clarkson is filing for divorce from her husband of seven years, who also happens to be her manager. So they've got kind of the, the family thing and the business thing going on. But evidently they had been struggling for quite some time and they really wanted to work things out. And and they looked at the quarantine. They went to their home in Montana and decided they were really going to spend time trying to fix and resolve some of their problems. Unfortunately, what they found out was it only exacerbated the problems that, that work and the distractions of career had kind of given them a break or a relief from these struggles. And now they had those struggles 24-7. And unfortunately, she concluded, as the article stated, that really divorce was the only option. You know... There's kind of a continuum when it comes to marriage, right? On the one hand, you've got marriages that are, that are dominated by love and happiness and stability. On the other end, you've got marriages that are, that are broken, that are dominated by self-centeredness, isolation, broken, fractured, and about to fail. And, and then maybe, and maybe, there's, maybe a lot of us fall in between. We have love. We have a solid foundation, but we recognize that there are problems. There are things that could be better. There are things that need to be fixed areas that need to be shored up. And we wonder, what, what can we do to make things better? How do we make improvements in our marriages? Well, we've been, we've been in the sermon series focused in the Proverbs, okay? And most of the Proverbs were written by a guy named Solomon. Now, for those of you who don't know Solomon, he was the third king of Israel, lived seven, several thousand years ago. And long story short, God gave him a degree of wisdom that those who came before him and those who came after him didn't have. And he wrote down a lot of his wisdom that God gave him in the form of Proverbs, which are just pithy, P-I-T-H-Y, statements uh, that, that it are easy kind of, you know, they're kind of easy to memorize, easy to, to, to digest. And most of these Proverbs tell us about how to live with other people. Now, commercial break here. Uh, if, if today you, you're, 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 you can kind of tell this is primarily, this lesson this morning is primarily about marriage, but for those of you who are not married, you're either, you're either too young or you're not married yet or you used to be married, you don't ever want to be married, okay? I hope you don't feel left out because when you look at the Proverbs we're about to read, yeah, it's, it's true that some of this that we're going to talk about this morning is really marriage-centered. But if you look at these principles, you can see, you'll, you'll be able to see that some of these principles apply in other relationships in daily life. So please, please hang in there with us. So let's dive in. The first proverb that uh, I'd like to share with us this morning is found in Proverbs 19.14, and it says the following, Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Okay, let me give you another thing about the Proverbs. If you read the first few chapters, the Proverbs are written, or the text is written, like a father is talking to his son. Hey, son, sit down. I want to tell you some things about how to live. So everything that's stated would be stated in the form like a father saying this to a son. So what I just read, you know, a prudent wife is from the Lord. You wouldn't tell a boy, hey, a prudent husband's from the Lord. So, but that's, that's why it's, I think that's one of the reasons why it's written this way. But understand, when he talks about a prudent wife, the same could be said of a prudent husband. So as we go through this, you know, what we're saying that apply, seeing that applies to the wife also applies to the husband. So here's the point he's making. You know, let's say you, you've inherited or stand to inherit a lot of money. Okay, uh, sorry, but you didn't do anything to earn that. You just happened to be born to folks who had a lot of cash. 
And when they pass along, maybe you get that wad of cash. And, and Solomon says, hey, that, that comes from parents. That didn't come from your hard work. That came from them. But here's the deal. If you have a prudent wife, she's from God. If you have a prudent husband, that is a gift from God. That didn't come from anybody else. That came straight from God himself. So what is a prudent wife or what is a prudent husband? Uh, I, I, you know, I don't use the word prudent a lot. I just remember George, w., you know, George Bush, you know, wouldn't be prudent, wouldn't do it. Anyway. Um, but but it, it's, it's the idea of being wise, discerning, making good decisions, making good choices. So, you know, how do I know if I have a prudent wife? How do I know if I have a prudent husband? You could probably ask yourself a lot of questions. You know, uh, does, does your husband follow Jesus? Does your wife support you and take care of your children? Does your husband work hard and earn an honest living? Does your wife try to understand God's will for her life from Scripture and other followers? You know, you can make up a lot of questions along those lines. If you can answer yes to a lot of those questions, then guess what? You have a prudent spouse, and that prudent spouse is a gift to you from God. You know, I wonder how much happier we would be if we really acknowledged that. You know, have we, have we grasped that that person that we wake up next to every morning, that person is a gift to God from us. And if we did recognize that, would we respond a little differently? Um, would we treat them in a, in, a, in a different way? You know, I wonder, if I recognize that my wife is a gift from God, am, am I going to respond to her with encouragement or criticism? Um, you know, if, 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 my, if, if, I'm, if I realize that my, if you realize that your husband is a gift from God, are you going to focus on pleasing him or pleasing yourself? You know, if, if I recognize that my spouse is a gift from God, am I going to focus my attention on improving myself to be a better spouse or focus on fixing what I perceive to be broken in their lives? You know, the, the point I think that's being made here is pretty obvious. If you want to have a happy marriage, demonstrate gratitude to your spouse because he or she is a gift from God and treat them accordingly. You know, what if, you know, what if I don't have a prudent spouse? What if I am married to somebody who doesn't acknowledge God? What do I do then? Um, you know, a few thousand years after Solomon, uh, after Solomon left planet Earth, um, the, the apostle Peter wrote some instructions in the book of 1 Peter to Christians who lived at that time, and one of the groups he wrote to was a group of women who wanted to please God but were married to men who, who didn't. And this is what he told them. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So the instruction to these women was submit to your husband. Show respect and obedience to them. Now, that's, a, that's an instruction that's still in Scripture. We don't like to talk about it today, but it was especially important back then because even unreligious people in that day understood that if a woman didn't submit to her husband, she was not a godly person. So his instruction to them was, look, out of your reverence for Jesus, you live the way that you're supposed to, and it's possible, not certain, possible that the reverence of your lives will turn your, will turn your husbands to Christ without you even having to tell them. So what's the principle for us today? And I it, it, it's applicable to men and women. The principle is this. It doesn't matter whether your spouse acknowledges God or not. You, out of reverence for Christ, 
love them the way that, that, that Christ would have you to love them. You live the life that God's called you to live. And, and it's possible, not certain, that if you do so, you're, you may turn your spouse back to, back to God. So, next proverb I want to share with you is found in 21.9. Uh, as we read this, you may think to yourself, this doesn't really sound like a recipe for happiness to me, but it says, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Kind of reminds me of Sanford in some. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, but, but one of the things I need to explain to you is that, is that back in the day, I mean, you know, I don't get on roofs on my house. I, I have a bad experience with roofs. I can tell you about that offline. But in, in Solomon's day and age, the roof was considered to be part of the house. I mean, it was like a patio or a deck. People would actually spend time on in their house, but also on the roof of their house. And that roof could be a comfortable place if the weather was nice. On the other hand, if it was blazing hot or pouring down rain or windy or hailing or things like that, you didn't want to be on the roof. And you really didn't want to be in the corner of the roof, the most uncomfortable spot on the roof to begin with. So what Solomon's saying is it's better to be in an uncomfortable, miserable spot on the roof than to be in the house with a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome husband. doesn't really matter. matter. You know, I wonder how many, you know, back in our day, how many... Uh, man caves or she sheds are just modern, more comfortable equivalents of the corner of a roof. So you can stay away from a nagging, a nagging wife or a difficult husband. You know, back when I was a kid, we'd, you know, you see on TV, there was always the wife and the husband would have a fight and the, the wife would give the husband the, the cold shoulder and, you know, he had to go to the doghouse. You know, what's a doghouse? It's an uncomfortable little hut in the yard that's hot, you know, that's full of dog hair, that's that's unclean, and it's full of dogs. And Solomon would say, you know, it's probably better to live in the doghouse than to live with a quarrelsome person. So what's the point of him telling us this? Well, I suppose if you're unmarried, this, this passage could serve as a warning. You know, like the Indiana Jones movie, Choose Wisely, you know, Try and pick somebody who's not going to be difficult to live with. But for those of us who are already married, we don't have that option. So what's the message in this for us? Well, I think it's the following. If you want to have a happy marriage, then don't drive your spouse away with constant argument. So the message is to the quarrelsome wife. The message is to the quarrelsome husband. You are causing trouble. Knock it off. You know, for some of us, we just can't help ourselves, right? I mean, you know, every little thing is, is a battle to be won or lost. We have to win the argument. We're going to press our case. We're going to make the debate. You know, it's a zero-sum game. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and I'm going to be the one who has to win. And even when I'm wrong, I am not going to apologize. Uh, I'm going to hold you to your agreements, not necessarily holding me to my own agreements. Um, we just have to win. And, and here's the deal. If you're that person in your marriage, you need to understand you're driving your spouse away. They're in the corner on the roof hiding from you. And you're creating misery, and, and you, you have to stop. There's no way you're going to be happy if you keep doing that. You know, maybe the next time you're tempted to have an argument, you ought to ask yourself a few questions. You know, is this something that's really worth fighting over? Is this really important, really? Or can I let it slide? Even, and, and, and when you're wrong, or you, you know, maybe it's time to admit it. You know, I, I was wrong. And, and, if I, and maybe I need to apologize. Or even if you're not the one who's wrong, and this is not a recurring issue, it's not a big deal, you know, maybe you just overlook it. 
You know, the bottom line is there's not going to be happiness in a marriage where somebody just wants to argue all the time. Now, the last proverb I want to share with you is found in 23:27. It says the following, an adulterous woman is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. So I want to carry you back to my, my, my college days when I lived in the dorm. Uh, there was a guy who lived a, across the hall that we called Dirty Dave. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you where the dirty came from, and I'll tell you where the Dave, the Dave came from in a minute. We called him Dirty Dave because Dave um, had a funnel mounted to his bunk bed. And most Friday nights, Dave would walk across the bridge, across uh, I-7585 in Atlanta, and buy a case of the cheapest beer he could find. And then he would have his roommate pour it down the funnel to, bring it, to put it directly into his body. Now, my friends and I, we had a group that we ran with. That kind of wasn't our thing, so we called him Dirty. And he, he didn't mind, so we called him Dirty. We called him Dave because Dave is short for David, and that was his name. So Dirty Dave, it kind of stuck. But on Saturday mornings frequently, Dave had a hobby, and that hobby was spelunking. Now, we probably know what that is in Kentucky, but it's crawling around in caves. So after a night of hard drinking, when he may not be completely sober, when he's hungover, and he's not at his physical peak condition, he would go with his friends to caves and crawl around. And I remember talking with Dave, and he said sometimes he would find himself in a place where, you know, he's, he's crawling literally on his belly through the cave, it's dark, he can't see, it's wet, and he gets stuck. He can't move backwards, he can't move forwards, he can't move sideways, he can't call for help. And again, he's hung over, he feels pretty awful at, the, at this, and, and he, he, he said, you just have to be patient, and you kind of work your way out of it. But if you are even slightly claustrophobic, I don't consider myself to be that claustrophobic, but I can't think of a place I would rather be than being physically ill, stuck in, stuck in a place where it's dark, where it's wet, and I can't move, and I can't get help. Now, if you can picture that condition, then you understand what Solomon was talking about when he's saying being in a relationship with an adulterous woman or an adulterous male is like being stuck in a narrow well. There's nowhere to go. It's a frightening place to be. You know, back in August of 2015, there was a a group of computer hackers called the Impact Team that hacked into the site of Ashley Madison and published its client list. Now, maybe you don't know what Ashley Madison is, but if you remember, they are a website that's devoted to helping its clients find someone with whom they can commit adultery. Nice. Their tagline is, life is short, go have an affair. So this group, the Impact Team, provided a date when they were going to publish this entire client list. And it was estimated at that time that the Sunday after this list would be published, that there would be up to 400 pastors, deacons, elders, church leaders who would have to resign their positions because their names would be revealed as being part of the Ashley Madison client list. Now, I remember this happening at the time. I didn't know anybody who was caught up in it. I don't know how many people got outed in this hack. But I do know of some prominent names that, 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 were, that were identified. And you can imagine the careers that were ruined, the ministries that were ruined, the marriages that were left in shambles, and churches that were wrecked and destroyed because of adultery. It's really difficult to overstate the destruction caused by infidelity. Obviously, it's like lighting off a bomb in your marriage. You might survive. You could survive, but... The, the odds are not in your favor. 
Adultery ruins, obviously, your marriage. It ruins the relationship with your children, your parents, and the rest of your family. And the, the subsequent divorce can ruin your finances and those of your spouse. Adultery can wreck your career. It can destroy your physical and mental health. And on top of it, it does the same thing to the other party that's involved. Stay with me for a second. There we go. So I think a fairly obvious statement would be, if you want to have a happy marriage, then avoid adultery at all costs. So for those in this room or online or anybody who might possibly be involved in an affair, I would leave you with two pieces of advice. One is stop immediately. Just stop. There's no nice way to get out. There's no polite way. There's no good moment. It's like your house being on fire. Just leave the building immediately. The second thing is get help. You can't and you shouldn't do this alone. Go find an elder. Go find Weston. Go find a friend. Go find a, a counselor. Find somebody who, who has, has God at the top of their list in terms of priorities and who has concern for you. They may not have all the answers. My guess is they can connect you with the next step. But stop immediately and get help. You know, the thing I find interesting about the Ashley Madison hack and the leak that followed it, you know, was that, that it demonstrated that Christians uh, themselves are, are far from being immune to the lure of adultery. I think sometimes uh, we have the idea this is an out-there problem. It's a, it's a them problem, and it's not an us problem. But this clearly illustrated, you know, this is a problem for Christians. The book of Proverbs spends a lot of time in the first few chapters with this father telling his son, you need to avoid this. So I think we have to take the attitude that, you know, this is something that I may not be involved in, but I shouldn't take for granted that this temptation could apply to me. I think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Uh, here's what he said to the Christians at the time. He said, you know, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, he was talking about sin in general. That's a very general statement, but his point is, you think, you've got, you think you're on top of it, you better watch out because you could fall as well. I, I, I think if, you know, we've already talked about what, to, what we should do if we find ourselves in an affair or in a relationship that's going in the wrong direction. But, you know, for those of us who are not in that situation, we should be seeking to move far, far away from the edge. How do we affair-proof our marriages so that never even becomes a temptation? Well, that's a long topic to discuss, but I would like to leave you with some advice that the guy who married my wife and I left us. It's all found in Ephesians chapter 5, kind of a summary verse at the end that I'll share with you this morning in verse 33. He says the following, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So if you're wife and you want to build up your marriage, you want to affair-proof your marriage, then you need to show your husband respect. That's what, that's what Paul says. Find those qualities in your husband's life that are worth calling out and do so. Show that you recognize them whether it's the way he takes care of you or your children or the way he tells people about Jesus or the kindness he shows to other people, it doesn't matter. Call those qualities out in his life. Show respect. And if you're a husband, he says, you need to love your wife the way that you love yourself. A few verses up from that, he says, we need to, you know, if you're a husband, you need to love your wife the way that Jesus loved the church. Well, what did he do? He died for the church. He died for us. So men need to sacrifice for their families. You know, whether it's those habits or hobbies that get in the way of us serving our families, those things aren't necessarily bad, but when they get in the way, they need to be put aside. 
We need to put aside our personal desires and serve our, and serve our wives and our families. And that way, we can move towards creating an affair-proof marriage. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that the infidelity is like the nuclear bomb when it comes to marriage. It just wreaks total destruction. You know, but it's also clear to me that most marriages aren't destroyed by adultery. It takes far less than a cataclysmic event like that to wreck our marriages. We mentioned earlier about Kelly Clarkson and her husband. There was no mention of infidelity in this article that I read. It, it just indicated kind of that they'd grown apart and they reached a point where they felt like they couldn't fix their marriage. You know, I'd like to close this morning by sharing an excerpt from an article by Lisa Turkhurst. Many of you know her as leader of Proverbs 31 Ministries. It's a ministry that's really focused on helping women uh, deepen their relationship with God. But I love this article that she wrote in 2015 about her and her husband. It says the following. When my husband Art and I got married, we had a tough time transitioning from being two independent people into a unified couple. We didn't have huge marriage issues to overcome. We had a lot of little everyday annoyances that started to chip away at the foundation of our relationship. Slowly, we stopped seeing all that we had and started focusing on all that was lacking in each other. Honestly, enjoying each other got lost in all the efforts to fix each other, and that can be so disillusioning. It can open your marriage up to a world of attack and the temptation to think, did I marry the wrong person? I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Do you ever find yourself in this place? Me too. Maybe that resonates with you. It's, not, it's the small accumulation of things that can wreck our marriage and, make, and, create, and create misery and create unhappiness. But we've talked about some things from Proverbs that God has given us to apply in our marriages that can make them better. So I'd like to wrap up by asking you, what, what, what's, what's your next step? What are you going to do with what we've heard this morning? You know, maybe, maybe your next step is to thank God, maybe for the first time ever or the first time in a long time, for the person to whom you're married, because you recognize that, hey, you sent this person to me. You know, maybe it's a maybe your step is to recognizing I'm creating problems in my marriage by being argumentative all the time. I need to stop that. Maybe your next step is to apologize. Uh, maybe, maybe your next step is is to stop, you know, is is to turn off a relationship that's heading in the wrong direction, or stop looking at material online that's taking your mind and your heart in the wrong direction. I don't know what that next step looks like for you. But, but I would like to take some time this morning to pray for us that whatever that step is for you, that you'll be able to take that. So let's, let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for our, our spouses, for our husbands and wives. We thank you for giving them to us. God, we apologize to you this morning for the ways in which we screw that up. Um, we pray that you would help each one of us to recognize the next step that we need to take and have the courage to do it. And we pray that when we trust you and do things your way, that uh, you will bless us with happiness and, and, and stability. We pray that um, our marriages would be a blessing for each other, for our children, and would be a light in this world that would draw attention to you. And for those who are, not, who are listening this morning who are not married, I pray that, uh, that they would be able to find uh, some instruction and some, uh, some help in the message this morning to apply in their other relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.